Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about. Do not forget you are in Ju. So there is a new biography of Chiang Kai-shek out now. Victorious in defeat: the life and times of Chiang Kai-shek, China, eighteen eighty-seven to nineteen seventy-five. Is out from Yale University Press and is written by Professor Alexander Pantsov. I have yet to read it, but I'm told that it sheds new light on Chiang Kai-shek by using documents from the Soviet archives that previously had not been available to Western scholars. As is so often the case with books about Chinese history written in English. I'm not sure whether I want to read the original or the Chinese translation. Of course, with most books, if I can read the original, then I will read the original. When it comes to books on Chinese history, however, if the original language is English, then all the proper nouns, names of people and places, are necessarily transliterated. In that situation, unless it's a person or place. That I readily recognize. It can be unclear what the reference is, and what the correct characters in Chinese should be. To a native speaker, this can be incredibly annoying. If I read it in the Chinese translation, however, then the translator will have returned all the transliterations to the proper Chinese, saving me a lot of guesswork. Anyway, so I haven't read the book yet, but seeing that the book is out reminds me of one thing in particular about Chiang Kai-shek. His favorite Chengyu, as you may know, a Chengyu is a kind of fixed expression in Chinese. It's typically a four-character phrase that has been passed down from centuries ago. Often resulting from a particular historical incident, or coming from a particular passage in an ancient text, and which is thought to be the best way to express a particular idea in the Chinese language. In this case, the Chengyu in question also explains why so many names of places, schools. And buildings in Taiwan and its offshore islands contain an otherwise unusual character, Ju. Ju, this particular character, according to the Han Dynasty Book of Philology, Shouwenjiezi, means taro, as in the root vegetable. Although in modern Chinese, you basically never see this character used in its literal semantic sense. Outside of Taro, Ju was simply the name of a place in ancient China, a small state during the spring and autumn period, and later a city. The Chengyu that Chiang Kai-shek repeated so often in his lifetime urges people to remember that ancient kingdom or city. Wu Wang Zai Ju is the phrase. Do not forget, you are or were in. For today, let's talk about the story behind this expression, what it actually refers to, 
what Chiang Kai-shek thought it referred to, and what it has to do with Taiwan. Like I said, the expression originated in the Spring and Autumn era, specifically the 7th century BC. Again, as a reminder, during this time, though technically still the Zhou dynasty, in practice the great fiefdoms of China functioned as independent kingdoms. Though the leaders of these kingdoms had yet to call themselves kings, but were still known as dukes, so I guess dukedoms would be more literally correct. In one of the five major states of this time, the Qi, which encompassed much of today's province of Shandong, near the beginning of the 7th century BC, Duke Xiang of Qi, Qi Xianggong, was in charge. Duke Xiang was not a good ruler. His younger half-sister was married to the ruler of another dukedom, Duke Huan of Lu, Lu Huangong, and Duke Xiang began having an affair with his own half-sister, so much so that he eventually ordered the assassination of his own brother-in-law, Duke Huan of Lu. Then, to appease the dukedom of Lu, Duke Xiang then had the assassin killed as well. The story goes that in 686 BC, Duke Xiang of Qi went on a hunting trip. On this trip, he came upon a wild boar, and his attendants told him that the boar was the reincarnation of the assassin he had executed. Duke Xiang drew his bow and shot at the boar. At this moment, the boar stood up straight like a man and screamed at him. Frightened, Duke Xiang fell off his chariot and hurt his foot, losing one shoe in the process. At this time, Duke Xiang's cousin, a guy named Wu Zhi, which is a pretty funny name because it literally means ignorant, was already plotting against him with a couple of generals. So that very evening, hearing that Duke Xiang had been injured on the hunt, they launched the planned coup against him. Duke Xiang tried to hide, but he was recognized in the night as the man missing one shoe. So they killed him, and Wu Zhi became the Duke of Qi. This is all according to the historical records of Sima Qian. Around this time, seeing the political chaos in the dukedom of Qi, two men, two close friends, separately shepherded two of Duke Xiang's younger brothers out of the country for their own safety. One of these men was Guan Zhong, and he chaperoned Prince Jiu to the dukedom of Lu. The other was a guy named Bao Shu Ya, and he chaperoned Prince Bai to the small state called Zhu. Only a year later, in 685 BC, another coup occurred, killing Wu Zhi. So now Prince Jiu and Prince Bai both went back to their home country, the dukedom of Qi, and competed for the throne. 
Prince Bai Wan, and became Duke Huan of the Qi. He turned out to be a great ruler. He pardoned Guan Zhong, his brother Prince Zhou's erstwhile adviser, and even made him his chancellor. In time, under Duke Huan, the Qi became the most powerful of the Chinese states of the time, and Duke Huan became the primus inter pares, to use the Latin phrase, the first among equals, among the great lords of the realm. According to the ancient text Guan Zi, after Duke Huan came to the throne and became the great ruler he was, one day he was drinking with both Guan Zhong and Bao Shuya, and Duke Huan prompted his former chaperone Bao Shuya to make a toast. Bao Shuya said, "May your lordship never forget the time when you had to run to Ju." In other words, Bao Shuya was saying, "Even though you have all the power now, you must never forget your lowest moment when you had no power and had to run for your life." Hearing this, Duke Huan bowed down to Bao Shuya and said, "As long as we never forget your wise words, our country will be fine." From this story derived the expression "wang zai ju." Do not forget you are or were in Ju, meaning that in our success we must not forget previous failures; in wealth we must not forget earlier poverty. Now you might be wondering, what does this have to do with Chiang Kai-shek and Taiwan? Why was this his favorite expression? It's a good question, and the answer is. Although this expression originated with the above story, over time it came to be associated with a later series of events that also occurred in the Kingdom of Qi. And I say kingdom now because this story occurred in the early third century BC. So 400 years later, during the period known as the Warring States, when the rulers of the various kingdoms had begun to style themselves as kings. By this time, the early third century BC, the kingdom of Qi had grown to be very powerful, so powerful as to attract the hostility of all the other warring states. And the small state of Ju, to which Duke Huan of Qi had escaped in 685 BC, no longer existed. It was destroyed in 431 BC by the southern kingdom of Chu. And then, subsequently, the kingdom of Qi took over all of its former territory. So, by the early third century BC, the former state of Ju was now the city of Ju, within the kingdom of Qi. And like I said, the kingdom of Qi at this time attracted the hostility of the other kingdoms, particularly its neighbor, the kingdom of Yan, which was located in what is now the province of Hebei. And centered around today's Beijing, the Kingdom of Yan managed to win support from the other kingdoms, forming an alliance against the Qi. Leading this allied army against the Qi was the famous Yan general 
Yue Yi. Yue Yi was so successful as a commander that he sacked over seventy cities of the Qi. In fact, the kingdom of Qi only had seventy-something cities in total, so that only two cities remained in the hands of Qi forces. One was called Qi Mo, where a distant cousin of the royal family, General Tian Dan, was in command. The other city was, you guessed it, the city of Ju. Here, the king of Qi was personally in charge. So Ju and Ji Mo were all that remained of the kingdom of Qi. And for five years, Yue Yi attacked and eventually laid siege to Ji Mo, but was unable to defeat Tian Dan. Then Tian Dan tricked the king of Yan. Into replacing Yue Yi with a much less talented commander, and then Tian Dan led the army of Ji Mo in a counterattack. In this famous episode, Tian Dan used what came to be called the fire oxen formation, in which he used oxen as shock troops against the Yan soldiers by lighting fire to the oxen's tails. So that, crazed with pain, the animals charged straight into enemy lines. Having won a great victory at Jimo, Tian Dan led the Qi army in retaking all of the seventy-odd cities previously lost to the Yan and its allies. Having won back the kingdom, Tian Dan welcomed his king from the city of Ju back into the capital and onto the throne. After that, the phrase "Do not forget you are in Ju" took on a second, if erroneous, meaning. The idea was that the citizens and soldiers of the Qi, hanging on to the last bastions of their country, never forgot their mission to restore it to its former glory. So, why did Chiang Kai-shek like this story and this expression so much? Well, you can probably already see where this is going. After he lost the Chinese Civil War to the Communists in 1949, Chiang Kai-shek and what was left of the government and military of the Republic of China retreated to Taiwan. He had lost almost all of China, and only Taiwan and a few other offshore islands remained to him and his government. And Chiang Kai-shek's Avowed policy and commitment was to try to retake mainland China from the base of Taiwan. To most objective observers, such a mission seemed hopeless. All you have to do to see why is to look at a map. Taiwan is tiny compared to the totality of the Chinese mainland. Indeed, it seemed hopeless. To a lot of people, even in Taiwan, to a lot of Chiang Kai-shek's own officers, although at the time it was hazardous to one's health to say so out loud. Chiang Kai-shek wanted to assure his people that such a mission was not hopeless, was not a fantasy. To do so, 
he reached back into Chinese history. Did the kingdom of Qi not lose almost all of its territory, save two cities? Did not the king of Qi and the great Tiandan manage to make a comeback from these two remnant cities and retake all of the lost territory? And if the kingdom of Qi could do it back in the 3rd century BC, then it followed that the remnant of the Republic of China in Taiwan could also do the same and retake all of the Chinese mainland. At least that was Chiang Kai-shek's reasoning. That was why, in 1952, Chiang Kai-shek had the saying carved into a big rock atop the tallest mountain in Jingmen or Qingmen, the frontline island directly off the coast of mainland China. That is why the phrase became the name of a public campaign throughout the 1950s and 60s. That is why many towns and villages in Taiwan and some of its offshore islands, not to mention buildings and schools and trains and train stations, came to be named or renamed Zhu something, often Zhu Guang, the light of Zhu. It was meant to be a symbol of hope against hope. Anyway, so that's the story for today. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.